News Network. A president leaves 300,000 guns on the ground to be picked up by the Taliban and then lectures us on the responsibility of gun ownership? Of course, this is the same man signing bills into law denying the biology of sex, confusing the right to decide which bathroom to use, stating anyone who doesn't agree is a terrorist and should be red flagged into oblivion? Clearly someone needs a good strong shot of the truth. Good thing we're here. We're TNN. The Truth News. Network. And here's Dan Newman. You know, sometimes I struggle with um, that uh, instruction by Jesus Christ talking to his disciples when they were complaining to him about how people they were going out trying to turn into Christians, preaching to them and giving them ways in which they can enrich their lives by becoming Christians, and they just summarily rejected them. And They were griping to Jesus, and he made this great statement, don't cast pearls before swine. In other words, don't throw your good stuff down there knowing that people are going to trample it and not take advantage of it. Now, where is this coming from, Dan? (laughs) Well, let me tell you where it's coming from. We're in that world right now. We're facing things. It's never been a big a gap as it is now between left and right. And I'm sad to say this, but most of the times from both sides of the political aisle, instead of trying to meet in the middle and using peaceful discourse, give the other side a reason or several reasons to come over to your way of thinking. And then if they don't agree to do that, just respecting the fact that, hey, we all have opinions. They have them. We have them. Let's respect each other's opinions and just agree that we're not going to agree on many political matters. Instead of doing that, what do we do? We stand across a a little valley between us. What we call down in South Louisiana is a bayou, and we just throw big rocks at each other, angry, hatred, and we do everything we can to destroy those who aren't like-minded. i got to be honest with you. I think we're living in that today. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. This is the day after the day after the 2022 midterm elections, and every few hours some news comes out. We're going to get into the latest on some of the big races here in the early part of the show, but I just thought I would uh, make you aware of what came out just a little bit ago about inflation. The Labor Department's Consumer Price Index, CPI, that's the measure of inflation. Inflation, It rose by 0.4% compared with a month earlier. Then compared with a year ago, the CPI is up uh, a paltry little 7.7%. Core consumer prices, those are the measure of inflation that excludes food and energy. And why they leave those two out, I don't know, because those are the ones that pretty much matter the most to every American, right? Well, if you pull the inflation of food and energy out, the consumer price index rose 0.3% compared with September, but they're up 6.3% from a year ago. Let me just let me just tell you what I experienced yesterday afternoon. I went to the grocery store, I went to Walmart, their neighborhood Walmart. It's kind of a boutique thing. You probably have them where you live. 
and I went in to buy a loaf of bread. Now, the bread we typically use are those 45 calorie per slice breads, and we get the multigrain wheat. I forget who manufactures it or who sells it or whatever. But I reached up and grabbed it, pulled it off the aisle. It was $4.48 for a loaf of bread. $4.48. I almost passed out. Now, I looked down the bread aisle, and they had some bread for under $2. But, you know, it wasn't the good stuff. <laughs> I, I like multigrain or wheat bread anyway. And uh, 45 calories. I don't know if there's 45 or 450 in each each slice of bread in that. But it's just the concept. I don't remember what it was two years ago, but I bet you it was under $3. I bet you it was close to $2 for a loaf of bread. I may be wrong, but the point is our prices for everything are going through the roof. Economists had expected a 0.7% month-to-month rise in inflation, Prices were expected to be up 7.9% compared with a year ago. Core prices were seen as rising a half a percent for the month and 6.6% for the year. Now, what is going to happen? What are our experts, our financial experts, doing about these things? Now, the only way, the only people that can do anything about it is the big guys, the Federal Reserve Bank. Now, why are they able to do that? They use the cost of money, in other words, interest, that they, the Federal Reserve, lend to banks. And when inflation goes up, that typically means there's a lot of money in the marketplace, and they've got to get it out. How do you get it out? You stop people from spending money. That means you stop people from borrowing money to spend. How do you get that to happen? You raise interest rates. And so that makes the cost of everything go up. That's going to help stop people from spending money to get it all back in line. Now, it's a political equation that they turn into a monetary policy. They've been raising it, a lot of um, pundits, economic and political pundits, said they waited too late. They should have started raising interest rates almost a year ago. But here we are, folks, 448 for a loaf of bread. Enough about that. If you go to Walmart, get some other kind of bread unless you've got a pocket full of money, right? If you've got kids... Two husband and wife, then two or three kids, you're going to go through a loaf or two or bread every uh, three or four days. Kids like toast. They like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And when you eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you've got to do the triple decker. I mean, you've got to put peanut butter on both of two pieces of bread, and then the third piece, you put grape jelly in there. Oh my gosh. What a great lunch to have. Very healthy, too, isn't it? So what else is happening? Every day now, we are going to, I hate it, but at least all the way through December 6th when we have that Senate runoff race in Georgia between Herschel Walker 
and Bronach. We're going to be talking about election stuff. The fallout. There's plenty of it going on in Arizona, Maricopa, uh, Maricopa County. They put out some more information on that printer issue. You know, election day, election morning, they were screaming about, we've got printer problems and it impacted a bunch of ballots. But they said it wasn't many ballots. Well, the authorities came out overnight and they've addressed a widespread problem, they say, that occurred with tabulation equipment election day at dozens of polling sites across the county. Now, Maricopa County is Phoenix. On Tuesday, election officials in the county said those tabulations in 20% of polling sites weren't working. Later in the day, the Maricopa County Election Command Center said in a statement that printer settings were the cause. So in a joint statement yesterday, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors Chairman Bill Gates, not the Bill Gates, this is Arizona's Bill Gates, and Vice Chairman Clint Hickman, they released some more info on the issue saying the ballot-on-demand printers were used previously and had correctly operated during the 2022 primaries in August. The printer settings for the ballot-on-demand printers at vote centers were the same ones we used in the August primary, they said. The paper was the same thickness. Prior to the general election, the elections department test printed and test tabulated hundreds of ballots without issue. The issue impacted less than 7% of election day voters, or about 17,000 ballots that were dropped into secure slots at the tabulators. It also added that officials are committed to fully investigating the incident, digging into the root cause of what happened, so similar problems can be avoided in the future. Listen, listen closely. This is a bunch of hoo-ha. These same people in 2020, they had similar issues and spent days and days and days coming up with the election count. Now, whatever happened to having an election across the nation, all 50 states, even the local elections, and by 10 o'clock on election night, we had all of the results. We knew who won. Whatever happened to that? And why is it just in about five states where this kind of stuff happens every election? I got to be honest with you. The American people have lost total respect and total confidence in what was once the greatest, fairest, and most comprehensive elective election system in the world. It's a joke now, and nobody trusts it. And every time we have an election and this kind of stuff happens, people get less and less confident that they know what they're doing. So we also find out there's a bunch of surreptitious things that happened in our election. Did you hear about the Democrats' strategy? And Back in the primaries, what they did was they used money to impact who their opponents were going to be against the Democrat candidates running in various races. So how did they do it? They spent millions of dollars to boost 
pro-Trump candidates in Republican primaries. Now, this is Democrats. They're spending money to boost pro-Trump candidates in the Republican primaries, and they did that to assure that they got in the general election the Republican candidate that they were confident their candidates, the Democrats' candidate, would win. All six of the Republican candidates who benefited from money meddling in their primary victories, every one of the six lost. Now, those races include a number of key House and gubernatorial races, as well as that New Hampshire Senate race. Democrats spent more than $40 million boosting those six Republican candidates, all of whom expressed support for Donald Trump as leader of the Republican Party or were backed by him. I wonder who came up with that idea. Whoever came up with it is getting a pat on the back by Democrats. But is that worth 40 million bucks? Think about that as a, if you're a Democrat supporter and you make a 50, 100, or 200, or 300, or $500 contribution to the party or to candidates, and then you find out they spent $40 million, some of it your money, to, and I don't even know, it, it's certainly not illegal, anybody, as long as the sources are disclosed legally to the Federal Election Commission, anybody can give money and support a candidate individually. But it just doesn't seem right that they could go out and handpick who they wanted to run against from their opponent's political party and cheat, basically, by spending a bunch of money boosting those people, the ones that they wanted to run against their candidates, because they think that's the best one, the easiest one for their candidates to win. But it worked. Six races they got. Now, have you looked at or heard anything about where we stand in Congress on how many of this party are going to be there in the House and the Senate. We're still stuck while we've got a couple of races left, three of them left. Democrats have 48 seats in the Senate. Republicans have 49. And again, we've got three to go. In the House, again, it takes 218 to win the majority. Republicans have already confirmed to have 210 in the bag. Democrats, 191. And we've got, gosh, we've got, I don't even know the number we have left, but it's its not a little number. Republicans are almost certainly going to get 218. They'll get more than that, but it's really shocking to people in the Republican Party because they were preaching. We had Congressman Mike Johnson here, and he was talking about, he's in Republican Party leadership in the House, somebody that gets the inside skinny. And he was talking about getting a 20, 30, even a 40-seat advantage in this Republican House of Representatives going forward. I don't know. I can't give you any reasons. I can just pass along information to you and tell you what other people are saying. It is what it is, right? <laughs> There's not much we can do about it at this point. 
Maybe we can learn from it. Republican State Senator Tom Keene, who came within one percentage point of winning the seat two years ago, has kicked out a two-term incumbent representative, Tom Malinowski, who was a Democrat in New Jersey. And he did this in New Jersey's Congressional District 7, and that picks up a key red win in a blue state. According to results posted in the New Jersey Secretary of State's Office Division of Elections, Keene got 52.3% or 153,000 of 295,000 ballots cast. Malinowski got 47% to win their November 8th election. So where's Joe Biden in all of this? You probably heard him give a speech. I think he's given a couple of them since the election was over. But the first thing he gave, listen to this, it wasn't about the elections. He suggested that he is interested in the federal government investigating billionaire Elon Musk about his purchase, acquisition of social media giant Twitter. The president said, I think that Elon Musk's cooperation and or technical relationships with other countries is worthy of being looked at. Biden said this during a press conference at the White House yesterday. Now think about that. Put it in the context of Joe Biden. He's saying that he thinks that his Department of Justice needs to investigate Elon Musk because of his relationships with other countries. What about the Biden family? What about Joe Biden? What about Hunter Biden? Joe Biden was all over in the faces of leaders in Europe and Asia when he was vice president, and it wasn't always about political matters between that country, its leaders, and our country. A lot of it was about business dealings. Joe Biden famously, after he got from Ukraine in one of his meetings in Ukraine, you may not remember this, but former President Barack Obama appointed Joe Biden to be the American kind of mediator between our government and Ukraine. Not under this president, but the previous president. And Joe got into some big deal that had nothing to do with political matters for Ukraine and the United States, but it was about his son or his son Hunter, who was serving on the board of Burisma Holdings, a big-time, very wicked, underhanded, one of the biggest cheating companies in Ukrainian history, Burisma Holdings. So with Hunter serving on that board, knowing nothing about natural gas, which is their specialty, never been involved in any kind of petrochemical or any kind of fossil fuel industry of any kind, He's making 50000 plus a month from Burisma Holdings. So this country is well known for being lawbreakers, for cheating, being money launderers. And so their chief prosecutor, Ukraine's chief prosecutor, had been investigating Burisma Holding for fraud. This has nothing to do with 
the United States of America, but Joe Biden's over there visiting with the president of this company, of this country, the one before we have now. And he tells him, look, I need for you to, you need to get rid of that prosecutor that's investigating Burisma Holdings. Now, what business is it for a vice president of any other country, let alone the United States of America, to tell a sovereign country's president to fire a chief prosecutor for any reason. But it sure seems a little sketchy that he would do it for a company that was being investigated for fraud by this prosecutor, and it just so happens Hunter's there, and he's making 50 plus thousand dollars a month. And Joe actually blackmailed the Ukrainian president. There was a $900,000 loan guarantee that Barack Obama had agreed that the United States would provide to Ukraine to get a loan. And Joe had that loan approval in his, in his pocket. And he told the Ukrainian president, hey, look, I wanted, I called you, I talked to you on the phone, I wanted you to fire this guy. You didn't do it. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to leave our plane is going back to the U.S. in nine hours. If you haven't fired that prosecutor by the time we go wheels up, this loan guarantee is going back to the U.S. with, uh, with me and you're not going to get it. Now, how do we know all this, this detail? Joe, in a very public meeting when he got back months later, he got up on stage and he bragged about it in detail. And basically the language he said bragging about after his blackmail, he said, wouldn't you know it, son of a bee, he fired the prosecutor. If that doesn't sound like quid pro quo, if that doesn't sound like using a political office for personal gain, I've never seen or heard anything that does. And they went after Donald Trump for doing way less than that, that he didn't do. So now this president says, hey, we need to investigate Elon Musk about his purchase of Twitter. Has nothing to do with the purchase of Twitter. It has to do with, quote, cooperation and or technical relationships with other countries. When this guy blackmailed the president of another country and bragged about it, and the reason he blackmailed him was to get him off of looking into the company that his son served on a board. Biden was asked by a reporter if he was concerned about Musk's acquisition of Twitter using financing from foreign countries like Saudi Arabia. Whether or not he is doing anything inappropriate, I'm not suggesting that, Biden said, but it warrants being looked at. When asked by another reporter how he was going to look at it, Biden replied, there's a lot of ways. It's not uncommon for Saudi Arabia to invest in American technology companies. The Saudis had already invested in Twitter before Musk even got involved with it. Democrats have already demanded that Musk be investigated over his deal to purchase Twitter. Senator Chris Murphy, of course, a Democrat from Connecticut. He asked the Committee on Foreign Investment earlier this month to investigate potential national security concerns 
of the deal. Biden has also expressed his frustration with Musk taking control of the social media platform. Now, what we're all worried about, Elon Musk goes out and buys an outfit that sends, that spews lies all across the world, he said, at a fundraiser last week. So let me set this up for you. The results of this election that were just coming through, it was supposed to be a red wave. Everybody was thinking Republicans were just going to sweep all these offices and put the Democrat Party in way in the back of the bus. It was expected that for sure the House would win big, Republicans would have it, they would control the purse, and nobody was able going to be able to give them any kind of orders or say no. That didn't happen. They even felt like they were going to win the Senate without a runoff. That didn't happen. So what did this do? It put a lot of fuel in Joe Biden. He is the big shot. And he's saying, we're going to go after our political opponents. This may be this very public threat by Senator Chris Murphy and the president against Twitter, against Elon Musk. It may be just a shot across the bow because what do social media platforms do? If you get opposite of them in politics, they're going to come after you. They're not interested in the politics. Well, maybe they are, but the big thing is when there's controversy, especially political controversy, what happens? Their readership goes up. People get out there spewing venom on Twitter and Facebook, and when they do that, the other side comes right back and spews venom at them. And so there are more eyeballs, more ears. They're listening and watching, and what happens? The advertising revenue goes through the roof. Joe Biden knows that. Democrats know that. And they know that what they did by having these election results go where they went, what they did was they just pushed back some time before having those wars happen again. And they don't want it to happen. President Biden, he's opened his mouth about some other stuff. He was asked about policies that he was going to change after the midterms. He was asked what specifically was he going to change, and he very proudly said nothing, not going to change anything. In other words, he didn't even listen to the voices of the people. He didn't even, he didn't even care about what's going on with inflation and price hikes. We still have baby formula shortages. Nobody wants to talk about that on the left. But we still have moms that are running all over town. They're buying the the baby formula in the best spots that they can get it. They're paying out the wazoo on eBay and other sites to get food for their babies. And this government hadn't done anything. We still have American citizens. We don't know how many. He knows but they don't want to talk about it because that makes them look bad. They don't want to look bad in any other ways than they already are. There are Americans hiding still in Afghanistan that Joe Biden promised he would get out if our military pulled out of Afghanistan. No care, no concern. 
And he made promises, public promises. We're going to get everybody out. Our military is not going to leave until we get everybody out. He didn't get everybody out. He left, and he is leaving them there. Presidents, real presidents, don't do that kind of stuff. Real presidents, they roll their sleeves up, and they go into whatever they're faced with and get dirty, but they are always telling the truth. And they don't promise to do things that they don't do. That doesn't illustrate this president. It sure doesn't. So it's not just Americans watching what's going on with the Biden administration, not looking to see what happens in the Biden administration after this election. We find out and get all the results and see how big the majority is going to be for the Republican Party in the House. It's not just about that. People around the world are watching what's going on in our nation. And so, in the wake of what I just told you, the story about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, them pushing for the Department of Justice, our Department of Justice, to investigate Elon Musk because some of the money that he borrowed to buy Twitter came from Saudi Arabia. Sky News down in Australia. Yesterday, they began to ask some questions about our president. And they made an interesting conclusion. I'm going to let you listen to them, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. The shock of the red wave not turning up is now behind us, and we're into the reality of what actually happened at the midterms. No, the Republicans did not win every single seat that they could, but every projection is that they will still take control of the House of Representatives. Now, despite what the White House says... I think the big tech, I mean, the president, obviously, I think will feel this way. I've been in touch with the White House. They are giddy and gleeful, as they should be, Hmm. about where things are sitting right now, Rachel. What exactly are you giddy about? Nancy Pelosi won't be the Speaker of the House. This guy will be the Speaker of the House. Kevin McCarthy, a Republican, leading a Republican majority that will now have the full ability to go into anywhere they want in terms of investigations. At the very least, they can go and look back at COVID. At the very worst, they can go to impeachment. But certainly where they're going to go is into old mate Hunter Biden. Now, the reality of Hunter Biden is that Hunter Biden, by his own admissions, is a little bit of a screw-up. But a little bit of a screw-up who made an awful lot of money along the way. And many people believe the only reason that was the case was because his father was Joe Biden. A nation-famous senator, a world-famous vice president who was on his way to inevitably running for the presidency and winning it at some point in time. So that's what is very much up for investigation with the Republicans now in charge of the House. But Joe Biden says, nothing to see here. What's your message to Republicans who are considering investigating your family and particularly your son Hunter's business dealings? Lots of luck in your senior year, as my coach used to say. But look a little deeper. The reality is, is that the next two years can be very uncomfortable for Hunter Biden very uncomfortable for Joe Biden. And that doesn't automatically mean that he'll resign the presidency or be impeached. Remember, to be impeached, you need two-thirds of the Senate, so that's not going to happen. 
But as CBS reported, there's plenty of smoke for the GOP to go looking at for the next two years, even if they never find a fire. They say that he believes the next year could be, quote, brutal. He has no illusions about the House Republicans should they have the majority. They will come after his family, including probing his son, Hunter Biden. They're going to maybe possibly impeach members of his cabinet. But if you have had your eyes open, even when big tech was trying to censor it, there is plenty of fire there about how this guy who by self-admission is a screw up and all the rest of it, and we know what the contents of the laptop were, and there's plenty of incriminating photos and lifestyle choices on that. But there are serious issues that they can't pretend aren't worth looking at. Chuck Grassley is a Republican senator, and he says, as you can see on the screen, the FBI has got a lot of information about potential criminality in the Biden family and their arrangements. And why this becomes a problem for Joe Biden is because people who have been in business arrangements with Hunter Biden say that Joe Biden has either been A, aware of them, or B, getting a slice. That's what was reported by a whistleblower to the Daily Mail. That's what has been reported by a business partner to Fox News. And that, in many ways, is why the laptop story was as big as it was. As my friend Miranda Devine wrote, 634-page report on Hunter Biden's laptop, potentially 459 crimes. And then even if crime isn't your thing, the appearance of nepotism becomes a problem politically. So much so that Jon Stewart, the comedian from The Daily Show, who famously said, always call out the bullshit, is calling out the bullshit. Biden being on the board of uh, Burisma, uh, to me, that's corruption straight up off the bat. The idea that nepotism would allow much larger amounts of money to flow into the hands of people unqualified because you think those countries are trying to buy influence. The question you have to ask yourself before everything gets polluted in the next two years, does anyone believe that Hunter Biden would have been this sort of a business success if Joe wasn't his dad? Absolute required reading about all of this for the next couple of years is Miranda Devine's book, Laptop from Hell. Go and look at the interviews with Tony Bobolinsky because there is plenty of fire, there is plenty of smoke and Joe can't hide forever. So let me get into this with you. It's not so much the dollars and cents that probably did go to President Biden, maybe when he was Vice President Biden, maybe in between, I don't know, and it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's him getting the money or if it's his, if it's his brother, if it's Hunter. That's not the point. Let me explain what's happening here. They think... That's okay. Barack Obama, who was president when Joe did this, Barack Obama thinks that's okay. That's normalizing illegal actions. Now, we have saw their administration normalize owning, having, possessing marijuana. In fact, Barack Obama told Eric Holder, who was then the attorney general, to have all federal agents around the nation stop arresting people for marijuana possession. Now, there are federal laws on the book that make it illegal. The president thumbed his nose at the law. 
Now, what does that do? Well, of course, that immediately put a bunch of states, every one of the 50 states had marijuana possession laws. That didn't negate their laws, but it was kind of a a conundrum because the feds were saying it's okay for you to possess it, but the state you lived in was saying, no, it's illegal for you to possess it. That flies in the face of the presidential oath of office, the vice presidential oath of office, the oaths of office of every governor. So where is this going? Let me explain something to you. You know when you were a kid and you went to school, you got graded, you got a report card, we all did. We had six six week periods and we had a semester one and a semester two. And we were taught to concentrate, to focus on our grades. I never made a B, ever. I had a 4.0 average when I graduated from Bird High School in 1971, Bird High School in Shreveport. Um, Sometimes I concentrated too much on making those A's, and I sacrificed other areas of my life. But I had friends that were fine with the C average. And that doesn't mean that's the best they could do. That what, what that means is it was okay. That was acceptable. They're fine living there. So move forward a few years. When I look back and I realize what was going on in that grading system, how do you make a C average? Tell me. How do you get a C average? Well, you either make all Cs. Everything that you do, every test, every paper you turn in, research paper, you make a C on it. That's one way. But that's very rare. How do you make a C another way? Well, you have an A and you have an F. And so when you average those out, you get a C. Or you have a B and you have a D. And when you add those together, you have a C. So where are you going with this, Dan? We have watched in our society across the board when average or what is acceptable, the bare minimum in most people's mind is acceptable, people are no longer enforcing people making less than average. And so what does that do? Look what it did. Barack Obama, the president of the United States, he said to the federal officers, the FBI and everybody else, it's okay if you possess marijuana when the law says you can't. So he pushed the bar that set the standard. He pushed it lower. And here we are today. We're accepting, not enforcing any laws at the southern border. Now, what does that do? It makes it okay. We have people in South America. We have people in the Middle East that are hearing our president is opening the southern border and is not enforcing any immigration laws. So if you want to come to the United States, it doesn't matter if you've got a rap sheet a mile long. Even if you're murdered people, you're a drug trafficker, it doesn't matter. They're going to let you into the southern border of the United States and you're not even going to be held accountable for breaking that law. Average is no longer average, at least what it was when you and I were in school. 
Our government is pushing the bar down. That should scare every American. How are you going to feel if one of your kids comes home from school and says, look, mom, dad, I'm not taking that test. Why not? Because I don't want to. Why don't you want to? I didn't study for it. Well, you're you're going to have to take it. You'll probably make an F. Nope. I'm not even taking it. That's the world we find ourselves in, folks. Average is no longer average. We're looking at average sliding all the way down to maybe a high F. And the President of the United States is suborning that. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. He made it okay in his own family. Yet he stood up there and pontificated about Donald Trump Donald Trump tried to blackmail the the then Ukrainian president to give him evidence to go after his opponent in the presidential election, Joe Biden. They even impeached him for a telephone conversation that supposedly, supposedly supported that allegation against Donald Trump. And yet, Here's the president of the United States. He's threatening to investigate Elon Musk because when he bought Twitter, he borrowed money from the Saudi Arabians. What kind of world are we living in? We have a president that's going after private citizens for just doing the right thing and not trying to hide it and certainly not laughing about it after they do it. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the French fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you 
you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. Now let me tell you somebody that ought to pay attention to all of this and do it in a greater way. The polling companies. The polling companies. Now think about how many polling operations there are out there. They're making hundreds of millions of dollars preparing and putting out polls. I told you a few weeks ago that the day of the election in 2016 when Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton, I went to Real Clear Politics, their polls, and uh, they don't do a poll themselves. They compile almost daily, the latest polls compiled from all of the biggest polling companies and put them out there so that you can see them, you can see their numbers, you can see their predictions, and come to your own conclusions. And what real clear politics will do on the big races like president, they'll give you, in addition to giving you the detail of all of the polling agencies' findings, they'll add them all together and give you an average. So I told you I was going to do that for this election that we just had. I'm going to give you a few. I'm just going to give you a few. Um, there are probably two or 300 in this thing. It's, it goes all the way back to November 2nd, Tuesday, November 1st. But let me give you election day. Georgia Senate election. Walker and Warnock. Fox 5 Inside Advantage polling agency had Walker winning by two percentage points, 49 to 47. Another television landmark poll had Walker 47, Warnock 46. Uh, We're looking down, I'm looking at some other elections. Out to Arizona, Masters versus Kelly, the Trafalgar Group. They're always one of the best and most accurate. They have Masters. Masters in the Senate race in Arizona, beating Kelly 48 to 47. Masters didn't even come close to that. For governor there, same Trafalgar group has Lake leading Hobbs by four points. The latest, and there are a bunch of uh, hand counting uh, going on of ballots out there still out. We're told there are tens of thousands, but it has Hobbs trailing Lake by four points. Another poll has Masters with 50 and Kelly with 49 in that Senate race. Another poll for governor has Lake 52, Hobbs 48. Right now, Hobbs is ahead. Now, this is not, these are not, I didn't just go and purposely picked these that I just gave you. They're all, all over the place. I've heard it said over and over again through the years, if you live by the polls when you're running for office, you're going to die by the polls on election day. 
And still, we're shaping the opinions of millions of voters by giving them these polling results all the way through and up to election night. There's just something that rings wrong about that. So Scott Rasmussen, he's one of those guys. He, um, the Rasmussen Report, he doesn't even own it anymore. And he sold it, still bears his name, but he sold it because of what I just told you. He got tired of seeing it all over the place. And what are polls and how are they compiled? Principally by telephone. And it works like this. It typically takes, for the people on the phones calling, you've got to call 100 people to get one person to give you, to even talk to you about their opinions on certain polls, especially during the big race years, the ones where we have presidential elections. But then you're talking to somebody that is, maybe they're going to talk to you but not tell you how they really feel. Maybe they have a political perspective and they want to, give their answers to lean towards their candidate or lean against another candidate. All kinds of situations like that come up. And people are making decisions, life-changing decisions, based upon telephone calls. So here we are in the aftermath of this election. Joe Biden's on stage. He is patting himself on the back. He's bragging about his policies. He left hundreds of Americans behind in Afghanistan that are hiding for their lives. We have inflation that hadn't been even close to this in 40 years. We all know what is happening to our economy. People are, I told you the story twice in the last two weeks when I've gone and got gas. It just so happens twice a person pulls up next to me and buys one gallon of gas. This is America. We can't get food. We can't afford the food that we get. So as the country was focused on these midterm elections this week, corporate Americans are bracing for an economic downturn. And so what are they doing? They're cutting jobs. They got to find ways to cut costs And they've cut it to the bone. Now they're having to fire people again. So the impacts of these companies anticipating a a real recession next year, it comes as exit polls from Tuesday's voting show, here we go again, polls, show the economy, particularly inflation, ranked across the board as the top issue for borders, reinforcing what countless polls showed for months leading up to election day. Now, put that in the context of what we saw in the election results. Apparently, what these people told the polling agencies, that the economy was number one, apparently it was either not number one or there's something going on with the election stuff. And I don't want to go there. But apparently Americans re-elected across the board, people that have been very, very complicit in supporting, implementing all of the policies, the Biden policies that made this happen. People are losing their jobs. So you tell me they're going to the polls and voting for these people that did it when they said 
the most important thing in their lives when they went to vote on Tuesday was they were going to vote for people that were going to fix this, and apparently they didn't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not even gonna touch that. I just wanted to put that out there for you to think about. The combination of corporate fears of a recession, voter concerns about our economy. You combine those, it indicates Biden won't be able to rest easy after he celebrates Democrats performing better than anybody thought they would. The latest job cuts occurred yesterday. Facebook parent Meta announced the company is laying off 13% of its staff. Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, said, Today I'm sharing some of the most difficult changes we've made in our history. And this came in a message that he wrote to employees. I've decided to reduce the size of our team by about 13%, let more than 11,000 of our talented employees go. We're also taking a number of additional steps to become a leader and more efficient company by cutting discretionary spending and extending our hiring fee of freeze through first quarter next year. These layoffs came after Meta issued a very weak forecast last month for its fourth quarter earnings. That spooked investors and caused its shares to drop nearly 20%. The company's cost and expenses jumped 20% year over year in the third quarter, up to $22.1 billion with a B, while its overall sales declined 4% to just $27 billion in the quarter. Operating income dropped 46% from the previous year to $5.6 billion. I want to take accountability for these decisions and for how we got here, Zuckerberg said. He explained recruiting will be disproportionately affected because the company plans to hire fewer people this year. I know this is tough for everybody, and I'm especially sorry to those that are impacted. Now, this was just the latest in a string of big corporate layoffs. Why? Because of fear of a recession next year. Twitter, we're talking about Twitter today. Twitter laid off half its workforce last week. Half. That was after Elon Musk purchased the company. Intel is cutting, the chip manufacturer is cutting thousands of employees, perhaps 20%. Microsoft has already laid off about 1,000 workers did it this week, election week. Ride-hailing firm Lyft, they're going to lay off about 13% of its workforce. Digital payments firm Stripe, they're cutting its staff by 14%. And Morgan Stanley is expected to start a fresh round of layoffs next week. Several other companies have laid off employees, plan to do so, or have imposed hiring freezes. Job cuts that have been announced already by U.S.-based employers increased 13% to 34,000 just in October, the highest since February of 2021. Meanwhile, forecast of a recession next year, everybody's agreeing that's got to be happening. It's inevitable. In many cases, a matter of when, not if, due to the highest levels of inflation in 40 years. I think it's quite likely 
the U.S. has at least a mild recession next year. That's from former Boston Federal Reserve President Eric Rosengreen. He explained the Federal Reserve may need to increase interest rates to more than 5% in an effort to combat inflation, which could push the economy into a downturn next year. I got to be honest with you. I'm tired of hearing these people say, we may find ourselves in a recession. And even if we do, it's going to be mild. I understand why they're doing it, but they're lying when they do it. I paid $4.48 yesterday for a loaf of bread at Walmart. In Southern California, they're paying $5 a gallon for gas again. If you don't call that inflation, what is inflation? Give me, uh, give me an understanding of that. Somebody get on the phone and call me or send me a text or an email. What the heck is it if it's not already inflation? Do we have to have to lose half of our workforce, send them somewhere and put them on unemployment so taxpayers can take care of that? Oh, Joe Biden, I'm going to take care of it. Whatever we got to do, I'm going to take care of it, but I'm not going to change anything I'm doing. You know why? Because I'm Joe Biden. I was vice president. Now I'm president of the United States, the number one man on the globe. And Donald Trump, he doesn't have anything on me. I've smashed him once in an election like a bug. I hope he runs again in 2024 because I'm going to run again. He had told us yesterday, I'm going to run again for president. I'm going to be 120 and still be the president of the United States. Why? Because I'm Joe Biden and Barack and me. We're buddies. You need anything done? You need any questions answered? Just call me. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. Uh, I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates, now at homedepot.com workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. 
plus you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Yeah, I get it. I I do get a little animated when I talk about this. You know, I, I, I just grew up in a in a social structure, a family structure, a church structure, a school structure in South Louisiana. Everybody was pretty well honest. If somebody was untruthful, you just got marked. And we lived in a small town, Franklin, Louisiana. I think we had about 1,500, maybe 2,000 people back in uh, the uh, late 60s when my family moved there. Everybody knew everybody. There were two churches, a Baptist church and a Catholic church. And uh, my father was a pastor. So we made the third church so everybody knew us and knew what we were about and who we were. And they made a determination. We're going to like them or we're not, period. That's just the way we were. And there was a colloquialism that I picked up down there. Um, When you were questioning somebody's values or maybe somebody was being fake or whatever, and somebody would say, if it quacks and waddles, it's almost always a duck. So when somebody lies and lies and lies and lies, pretty much it's a duck. In other words, pretty much they're a liar, maybe even a pathological liar. I don't know. But I'm not saying Joe Biden is a pathological liar, but what I am telling you he pretty much is void of the truth in most things. I mean, that's that's just a fact. I don't think anybody can dispute that credibly. Yeah, it can be disputed, but this guy's all over the all over the place and doesn't seem to have a clue about anything going on in his own personal life, let alone the United States of America that he leads. I mean, let's talk for just a second about this nonsense about electric vehicles. You hear it over and over and over again. Electric vehicles. I'm going to get rid of fossil fuels. I'm going to make it illegal by whatever year it is. Everybody's going to be on wind and batteries when we get there. There aren't going to be any cars that burn gasoline or trucks that burn diesel. And I'm going to put a long extension cord on Air Force One because we won't be able to burn jet fuel anymore. Nobody talks about what they're going to do as a replacement. We're going to do EV cars and trucks. And he even brags about it, goes to one car plant and drives one to just show how big a deal it is. And we hear all the horror stories about, I told you a story the other day. It took a guy that bought an EV. It took him five hours to go a hundred miles in an electric vehicle. That just doesn't make sense. How do you reconcile that? Well, John Stossel, I like John a lot. He uh, he did a little short synopsis talking about the insanity of replacing gasoline cars with trucks and doing away with our fossil fuels. Electric cars are having a moment. Oh! 
Electric car sales are up 66%. You going to want to jump in the back? And now my president says the future is electric and there's no turning back. To make sure of that, some states are banning gas-powered cars. Gasoline cars are driving us toward climate chaos. We actually have to stop using fossil fuel vehicles. California's governor made that an executive order. We will eliminate the sales of internal combustion engines. Governments everywhere say they plan to do that. The government has a vision for a future where all our cars will be electric. But this is just magical thinking. It can't happen. In this video and the next, we point out five inconvenient facts about electric cars that politicians and green activists Take oil, just don't understand. Electric cars are amazing. Physicists like Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute do understand. He says the trend to electric is a good thing. But it won't change the future in any significant way with respect to oil use or carbon dioxide emissions. That's inconvenient fact one. More electric cars will hardly dent oil use. If all of us bought electric cars, would it make any difference? So the world has 15, 18 million electric vehicles now. It could go to 300 million, maybe 500 million vehicles. I don't think it'll get that many, but that's the aspiration. That would reduce world oil consumption by about 10%. That's not nothing, but it doesn't end the use of oil for the world. Because most of it's used for what? Flying airplanes, driving buses, big trucks, the mining equipment to get the copper to build the electric cars is all oil-fired. And it won't change because those trucks last 40 years. And even if all vehicles somehow switch to electricity, there'd be another problem because despite what we've heard... Further, faster, cheaper, and greener. Electric cars are not all that green. One reason is because electricity isn't all that green. I'm amazed talking to people who are all excited about their electric car and they say, and I'm not polluting. <laughs> and I say, where do you get the electricity from? And they don't know. They don't know that most of America's electricity comes from fossil fuels, natural gas and coal. Just 12% comes from wind and solar. Yet auto companies tell us... Electric vehicles in general are better and more sustainable for the environment. She's a Ford engineer. She's not ignorant. Well, actually, she probably is ignorant in the literal sense of the word. She's not stupid, but ignorance speaks to what you know. You have to mine somewhere on Earth 500,000 pounds of minerals and rock to make one battery. And most of this mining isn't done in the U.S. American regulations make it nearly impossible. So it's done other places, polluting those countries. And worse, ingredients in batteries are mined in places that enslave people and use child labor. An army of children are at the heart of the mining production, wearing no shoes and in the most wretched conditions. Most Americans proudly driving electric cars don't know about this. They just don't want mining done near them. But wherever it's done, mining is a dirty business that adds lots of carbon to the air. If you're worried about carbon dioxide, the electric vehicle is emitted 10 to 20 tons of carbon dioxide before it even gets to your driveway, before you drive the first mile and plug it in the first time. Carbon dioxide produced by the mining and the manufacturing and the shipping. Exactly. 
Volkswagen published an honest study. They point out that the first 60,000 miles or so you're driving an electric vehicle, that electric vehicle will have emitted more carbon dioxide than if you just drove a conventional vehicle in the first place. You have to own it for a while before the electric part starts to win. You have to own it for at least 100,000 miles, and then the electric part wins by some. So it doesn't get you a zero emissions vehicle. It's reduced the emissions then by 20 or 30 percent, which is not nothing, but it's not zero. No, it's not close to zero. In our next video, more inconvenient facts about electric cars. Politicians make impossible assumptions about batteries and the electric grid. <laughs> oh, he just mentioned the electric grid. What is that? Well, that's the infrastructure that's put in place. And everything electrical, it goes and it operates through distribution out of these electric grids. So a big, big city obviously has to have a much bigger electric grid that has a much more capability than, say, a little town like Franklin, that town I grew up in. Look at Los Angeles. Their electric grid is monumental. It's, it's all over. It's in pieces all over that part of California. In fact, most of California is part of an electric grid. So what happens when you get an electric car? Let me give you an example. I live in a, uh, uh, a I, I don't want to say a planned community. It's not a huge community, but it has different size homes, different prices, restaurants up front, very planned and laid out. And of course, the developer of this whole area put in the electric grid that was necessary and they figure out, basing it upon history, what that electric grid has to accommodate. If Joe Biden ends fossil fuel like he said he would, and I don't believe, as you just heard, it's impossible. I don't believe Joe Biden will be able to do it. I think all that is is a political talking point. But if he tries to outlaw electric, uh, excuse me, fossil fuel vehicles, Every car in this subdivision, in this planned community, has got to have a charging station. Now, most people have two cars. In my subdivision, there are a lot of three cars and golf carts because people use golf carts to drive all over this place. Sometimes it's kind of crazy, that golf cart traffic. It's already electric, so it's got to plug up. But you don't plug an electric vehicle into the same plug on the wall that you plug a lamp into. It has to have a charging station, and that charging station has to accommodate charging a car. And it takes way more electricity to charge car batteries overnight than it does to charge up your iPhone. So what does that mean? It has to have a bigger, more capable electrical source the power grid this subdivision that i live in analysis already says and i think the oldest home in here is five years they cannot without totally destroying the current infrastructure blowing it up basically and replacing it they can't accommodate the cars that joe biden's policies he's already said he's going to implement it's impossible to do. Now think about think about this. What about uh, Manhattan? 
think about the power grids there and think about all of the gas and diesel vehicles that are going to be replaced with electric vehicles. Not just that. He's talking about replacing fossil fuel. I'm talking about carbon plants that produce electricity. It's going to require additional different kinds of power grid. Think about those skyscrapers in Manhattan. Think about having to replace the infrastructure there because it's going to take a different kind of electricity. The sources will no longer be those coal plants. This guy and all of the leftist hardcore environmentalists that don't have a clue about the capability of being able to do the things that they're promising Americans that they're going to do, and we have people that don't understand they're falling in love with these people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the, and the squad, and they're thinking these are forward-thinking people. They know what they're talking about, and fossil fuel is horrible. It's not horrible. It's in part, large part, what made America what it is today. And America created that technology, and it spread around the world. And there are billions of people that survive because of fossil fuel. And this guy, our president, is going to kick it away. Is going to just flip a switch, and it's not going to exist any longer. Why? Because he feels like he knows better than the engineers and the scientists. You heard just a moment ago one of them almost laughing about it. It's impossible to replace fossil fuel. Period. Period. This just blows my mind. And that's just one thing. We've talked about a couple of things that blow my mind about Joe Biden today. We talked about the Ukrainian process and, and, and what's going on there. I, I just don't know. I don't get it. I don't know where we're going, but let me just say this. I don't stay up at night worrying about it. I don't fret about it. I'm 69 years old. I ride a bicycle. I ride a recumbent trike, actually, and I'm an aggressive rider. I do it to maintain my weight and to keep my heart healthy. I can't ride that very far out of my subdivision. Um uh, Riding 12 miles a day aggressively is a big day for me, and that is that for most people. So how are we going to get around? How are we going to get around? We were just told by scientists there's not going to be enough electricity. It's not going to be practical. So what are we going to do? The number one user of fossil fuels are airplanes and jets worldwide. What are we going to do? I joked about a very long extension cord. <laughs> Let me just tell you this. I'll put you at ease. It isn't going to happen. We're going to have electric cars. We're going to have electric vehicles. Technology is going to, they're just going to make it better and better and better and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, but it's never going to be economical. Why? Because it requires batteries. you got to generate electricity somehow. You have to have an energy source to generate it. 
and the energy sources that generate it, the vehicles that go dig the minerals out of the ground to make these batteries, those vehicles have to operate on fossil fuel. If you think it through, if you get past the fluff at the top level, it just doesn't make sense. I've had enough of that. I've had enough of that. Let's move on. Do I have anything that's important to get out of the political blogosphere today? Let me think about it. How about this one? The Progressive Democrat Group. Uh, Did you get that? And this is political, but I think you need to know about this. The Progressive Democrat Group. That's a leftist Democrat group. It's called Roots Action. They launched a Don't Run Joe campaign yesterday, urging the Democrat Party not to nominate Joe Biden for re-election in 2024. This Don't Run Joe campaign launch, it comes just one day after the midterm elections. In that election, Democrats performed better than thought, but they lost or they're losing control of the House. Roots Action urges Democrats not to make the tragic mistake of rerunning Biden in 2024, whose presidency they describe as being neither bold nor inspiring. So here's what their press release says. The threat of a neo-fascist GOP has become all too obvious. That sentence alone destroys whatever shred of credibility they may have had in my mind. I don't know any, I don't know a single neo-fascist member of the Republican Party. I'm not Republican, but I know what a neo-fascist is, and I know what a Republican is. Anyway, they continued, bold and inspiring leadership from the Oval Office will be essential. Unfortunately, President Biden has been neither bold nor inspiring, and his prospects for winning re-election appear to be bleak. With so much at stake, making him the Democrat Party's standard bearer in 2024 would be a tragic mistake. So this group is based in Vermont, pretty far left state, probably the farthest left, maybe California, but it's a close tie. This group would rather see the Democrats run a candidate who advances a truly progressive agenda. I have no idea what they define a truly progressive agenda to be. However, Biden has consistently indicated throughout his first two years his intent to run for re-election. Yesterday, the same day the Don't Run Joe campaign launched, Biden again signaled he's going to run for re-election. When reporters questioned him about exit polls that found a majority of voters don't want to see him run, Biden told reporters, Watch me. And added that the polls are not going to impact his decision. So, another poll, a CBS exit poll from Tuesday's midterms showed 66% of voters don't want him to run. Still, Biden says he's going to run again. He's going to talk to First Lady Jill about his decision over the holidays. And of course, his holiday started today. (laughs) he's taking off through Christmas. I don't know, but he doesn't work much. Adding to his woes, his increasing unpopularity among college-age Democrats, that's a key voting block for the Democrat Party. 
One poll found that 73% of college Democrats don't want to see Biden run. At 79, he already became the oldest presidential candidate elected to the nation's highest office. Should he run for office next presidential cycle, Election Day 2024 would come roughly two weeks before Joe's 82nd birthday. Cognitive disability Joe Biden. If he does run, he could face a rematch against Donald Trump, who recently signaled he's going to announce a third bid for the White House during his final Save America rally of the midterm cycle. But not to detract from tomorrow's very important, even critical election, Trump said, And I would say in the strongest way, it's country-saving election, specifically including the election of all the people that I'm going to name. He was speaking to a crowd at one of his rallies in Ohio. I'm going to be making a very big announcement on Tuesday, November 15th at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, he said. Crowd cheered. Biden would likely face an uphill battle in a rematch against Trump as recent polls of a hypothetical Oh, here we go with the polls again. A hypothetical 2020 presidential rematch found that Trump is ahead of Biden. I, as we speak, I have a five-year-old, four-pound Yorkshire Terrier lying on the console in our studio looking at me. That Terrier, that Terrier, by the time two years come up, will be seven years old. She will have more knowledge and understanding of life in America and politics than will an 82-year-old Joe Biden. Jill, don't let him run. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. 
You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. And there's plenty of that to go around. And it's not just about electric vehicles. It's not just about all of the stupidity saying we got to stop fossil fuel. We've got to get rid of it all. Oh my gosh. And neo-fascist Republicans? Let me just tell, and I've I, I, let me just point something out. This president of the United States has arbitrarily and authoritarianly done more government, put more government policies in place than any other previous president, and he's done it through executive order bypassing Congress, which is the constitutional authority, the sole authority responsible for crafting legislation and creating American policies. Joe Biden is the biggest authoritarian ever in United States history, and he's far more neo-fascist than anybody could ever point to anybody and the Republican Party. And it's not just calling somebody a name, it's watching what they do. And Joe Biden, folks, Joe Biden is doing authoritarian things on a daily basis. And he brags about it. He thumbs his nose at the laws of the United States. He doesn't enforce laws. He He's bragging about going after Elon Musk for borrowing some money in Saudi Arabia when his son was putting deals together that profited Joe and the rest of the Biden family with China, Chinese government-owned companies, with Ukrainian people, Russian oligarchs' wife, giving him money, giving him money to invest that included the profits, some of it would go to the big guy, which everybody has made it very clear. The big guy is Joe Biden. And he's going after Elon Musk. He's going after Elon because now he thinks he can. He got a a mandate in the election, even though he didn't run. He got a mandate to do the things that he wanted to do and wants to do, and one of them is to get rid of Musk. He wants to get rid of Twitter. He wants to wipe out any entity that will publish anything that disagrees with him. That's what authoritarians do and have done for centuries around the world. There is some pushback going on now about several of the candidates in the midterm elections. We told you about four where the Democrat Party in the primaries they handpicked the, the Republican candidate that they thought would be best and easiest for their Democrat candidates to win and beat these people in the general elections. And they got a bunch of them, got them through the primaries, spending $40 million in doing it. And so everybody, not everybody, but a lot of leaders are screaming and hollering saying, this is a message, Trump don't run. The American people, the Republicans, the conservatives don't want you back. Larry Kudlow, 
he doesn't seem to agree with that. So I will be the first to admit that last night's GOP vote was more a platoon than an entire cavalry. Not exactly what we were hoping for. But remember this. According to the U.S. Army, a platoon is three to four squads. That could come out to as many as 140 soldiers. That's not nothing. So let's not be too discouraged about the showing last night. And by the way, a squad, and you know who I mean and what I mean about squads, squads are less than 10 soldiers. So to sum it up, platoons are much, much bigger than squads, if you get my meaning. Now, back to the storyline. All the votes are not counted yet, but it sure looks like the GOP will carry the House with at least 225 seats. That is very, very important. And by the way, 225 GOP House members will make a hell of a platoon. And also, by the way, House Republicans defeated half a dozen Democratic incumbents, and they're still counting, including my pal Mike Lawler right here in New York, who defeated the Democratic campaign chairman, Sean Maloney. Kevin McCarthy's efforts to expand his House troops, recruiting women and minority candidates, paid off in places like Florida and Michigan, New York, Texas, Virginia, and elsewhere. The Senate looks like it's going to be a photo finish. Now, Senator Ron Johnson was just declared the winner in Wisconsin. That puts the GOP headcount at 49. Senator Johnson celebrating his third victory will be here in just a few moments to tell us about it. That leaves three remaining races, of which Adam Laxalt looks to me like a sure winner in Nevada. Herschel Walker in a runoff in Georgia. And this time, his friends and allies will urge Georgians to come out and vote for him. You know what I mean about that. And there's 80,000 libertarian votes I think will swing towards Herschel. And then finally, there's Blake Masters in Arizona, who I admit is a longer shot. But Kerry Lake looks to be a winner and. Who knows about Blake? He's been on this show several times. He's a fine person. So I'll go out on a limb and say there's a good path to 51 GOP seats, maybe 52. By the way, kudos, many kudos to Governor Ron DeSantis for his huge win in Florida, along with Marco Rubio. By the way, the under ticket in Florida was just fantastic. Under ticket, picking up house seats and just about everything else. So I just want to say my conservative friends should really... Please, stop gnashing your teeth, stop pointing fingers, stop the incriminations, you know, the post-mortem incriminations. I can't stand it. It wasn't such a bad night, all right? It wasn't what we wanted, but it wasn't such a bad night, and I remain optimistic. On the Senate side, listen, you had a large number of first-time candidates. They won primaries, and then they faced tough, well-funded Democratic incumbents. It's a very hard thing to beat. You look down the list, J.D. Vance, Ted Budd, Tiffany Smiley, Joe O'Day, Don Bolduck, Blake Masters, Herschel Walker. We interviewed almost all of them on this show several times during the campaign. We watched them mature and improve and grow as great candidates. Some of them who lost last night, I think, will be back for more in future elections. They will be future leaders. number of people are criticizing my former boss, Donald Trump, for backing bad candidates. This is just so vastly overrated. Remember, these candidates won primaries and they gave it their best shot in the general election. Some made it. A lot of them didn't. Mr. Trump was not on the ballot. I dare say he was not a major force, with one exception that I will acknowledge. I wish he had backed my pal David McCormick, who I think would have beaten Fetterman. By the way, I like Mehmet Oz, personally. I just think McCormick was the guy to do it. But so it goes. The others gave it their best shot. 
Some of them are going to win, others lost. It's up to them, not anybody else. I mean, the trouble with the blame game with these things is it's they who lost. Mr. Trump was not on the ballots. Anyway, the blame game to me is always a lot of hooey. But whatever the final count, the GOP is going to have the House in order to stop the bad stuff on spending, on taxing, on regulating, on weaponizing places like the Justice Department or the IRS or the FBI and other agencies. And stopping the bad stuff will bring a lot of relief. And if the GOP can pull out the Senate, why then they can be even greater force for positive legislative strategies to grow the economy and curb inflation. I mean, look at next year, 2023 is going to be a huge economic challenge. I was looking today at the OECD index of leading indicators, which is pointing straight down. It's been doing it for many months. It's predicting a global recession, including the U.S., and high prices and inflation with the sinking economy is going to have to be dealt with immediately. I still believe the first order of business is to take the handcuffs off fossil fuels, open the spigots, permitting, drilling, pipelining, refining, all of it. Oil and gas products permeate the entire economy, affecting the everyday lives of working folks and their families. Opening the spigots could also take the pressure off of the Fed's anti-inflation tightening, which would be a welcome relief for everybody. And then, of course, let's cut spending. Let's cut taxes. Let us try to grow the supply side of the economy. Let's pick up where we left off a couple years ago with the Trump V-shaped recovery boom. Remember that? Now, Joe Biden, he's going to oppose all this, I guess, but he'll do so at his own peril. I mean, he may have lost two houses in the midterms last night, okay? Certainly lost one. It may be two. All the exit polls showed inflation in the economy was by far the number one issue. So if Mr. Biden doesn't want to reset or do business, he will do so or won't do so at his own political peril. So I'll just say at the end, folks, take heart. The platoon is coming. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a platoon. It's not always as bad as it seems. Sometimes it is. Actually, sometimes it's worse than it seems. But here's something we need to all understand. There are ways to get through it, whatever it is. Now, some things that happen are terminal, but very few of the things that happen to us, including election losses, very few of those are fatal. Cancer, of course, can be fatal. Other diseases can be fatal. Car accidents can be suddenly fatal. All of those things, most of those things we have no control over. So why waste our emotions and our energy to fret about things, almost 99 plus percentage of them, we can't do anything about anyway? Now, I'm not talking about everything. I'm talking about the things that we can't do or manipulate or structure to make sure that we're going to be okay. Those things, it's our responsibility to take care of. But there are a lot of things that we don't have any control over that face us every day. I told you the other day about a Sunday school teacher I had my senior in high school, and he had a great saying. He would say, what difference is it going to make a hundred years from now? That's the question we should ask when we face any of these kind of things. And the answer is very simple, none. So why worry about it today? You got that for free. 
we haven't heard anything, or I haven't heard anything, by uh, about John Fetterman since the election the other day when he uh, pretty handily defeated Dr. Mehmet Oz for that Senate race up in Pennsylvania. Well, people on the mainstream media networks are trying to make him to be kind of like, I don't know, a pet. They're pushing him and pushing him, and they're talking about how great a guy he is and what he did beating the television star, Dr. Oz. Listen to how crazy it's gotten. During MSNBC's election coverage Wednesday, host Katie Turr raised the possibility, and this is going to blow your mind, of Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, soon to be Senator John Fetterman, to be a nominee for president at some point in the future. Although she acknowledged there are some variables, obviously. She said, Fetterman is a nominee at some point for president. I know there are some variables, obviously, just a few. But I just, you know, what he did in the super red, deep red parts of Pennsylvania and the way that he ran ahead of Biden, ran ahead of Trump. Now, what does that mean? Ran ahead of Trump. He wasn't in the race. I know he's talking about Trump endorsing Dr. Oz. She said, I mean, it just makes, it makes you wonder about his future. Now, let me, what I, that's the whole context of this, what was said. My purpose for bringing that is we have a media that are nothing, nothing but willing accomplices to this push towards totalitarianism by our government. MSNBC, CNBC, CNN, ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, The Washington Post, The New York Times, The LA Times, you know all of the culprits that are out there. They want the government to control everything, and they envision themselves as being the keys to make it possible for the government to do that, take over and function operating everything unilaterally. And, of course, the reason they're doing that is they see themselves being positioned to be a part of that big entity at the top, which is how all authoritarian governments work. Those that work for a year or two or maybe three, but they never make it, there's never been one that's been successful, and there never will be. Why? Because they implode. When people find out there is no such thing as a government utopia where the government controls everything. But MSNBC is now already pushing John Fetterman for president. (laughs) Well, at least Katie Turr is. You know, there have been quite a few very quiet races going on where some Democrat lawmakers are being kicked to the curb. Here's an example. Republican Young Kim, Asian, has defeated Democrat Asif Mahmoud, which, of course, he is a Muslim. She beat him in her bid for California's 40th congressional district, successfully defending her seat after she won it back in 2020. She became one of the first Korean members of Congress 
after she successfully won her seat in 2020 following a failed bid back in the 2018 midterm. Most notable about her 2020 victory was how she came up ahead in the race after counting mail-in ballots while she trailed in the 2018 race due to mail-in ballots. She was favored for re-election, recent polls putting her ahead in the race by a whopping 16 points. But she's one of those few that went head-on in a state that is almost purely Democrat as a Republican, and she survived. We were, I was looking at some of the strange things that were on the ballots around the nation on Tuesday. The most Democrat region of the state of Oregon rejected a ballot initiative that would allow foreign nationals to vote in local elections. Voters in Multnomah County, Oregon, home to the deep blue sanctuary city of Portland, they voted down an initiative that would have allowed foreign nationals, including illegal aliens, a right to vote in county elections. As of yesterday morning, more than 58% of voters in that county had rejected that initiative. 44% minorities support it. The initiative had the backing of very influential open borders groups like the American Civil Liberties Union, the Center for Migration, and the Coalition of Communities of Color, among others. Multnomah County, home to more than 815,000 of the state's 4.2 million residents, is so deep blue that the region typically votes nearly 80% for Democrats. 80%. In the 2020 presidential election, for instance, the county went 79.2% for Joe Biden. If this initiative had passed, it was unclear how county officials would have implemented its framework to give green card holders, visa workers, and illegal aliens the right to vote. As Oregon's state constitution is clear, voting rights are reserved for American citizens. Go figure. This initiative's rejection by the fiercely Democrat county comes as Washington, D.C. is set to become the latest Democrat jurisdiction to give foreign nationals, including illegal aliens, the right to vote. Democrats in New York City had sought a similar plan, but the New York Supreme Court struck down the non-citizen voting law, slating that it violated the state's constitution. Now, the conundrum in what I see and what I just told you about, Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, they are about to give foreign nationals, including illegal aliens, the right to vote. Do you see a little problem with that? First of all, illegal aliens by federal law are not to be here, period, yet alone. Voting? They're not to be here. Federal law demands that the federal government accost them and immediately return them to their country of origin. Once again, 535 members of Congress and the President of the United States haven't stepped in to enforce the rule of law. i got to be honest with you. 
If you don't enforce laws, you don't have a country. If you don't enforce borders, you don't have a country. I know that may hack off some people when you hear that, but it's facts. That makes a country a country. A nation of laws will survive. A nation without laws is just pure insurrection. It'll never make it. And they want this nation to go in that direction. So they're doing their best to make it happen starting now. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. seen or heard much about Carrie Lake. She is a lightning rod. She is a television news person from Maricopa County in Phoenix, and she's running for governor of Arizona. And when I say a lightning rod, she really is a lightning rod. So she is in that race against the former, I think, Secretary of State of Arizona uh, for that governor's position. And the race, we're still counting out there in Maricopa County. Remember, that's what we do every election. They're not going to ever get an election complete for Maricopa County for a week or two. And they say, as of last night, they have thousands of votes yet to count. And it's a very close race. But Carrie Lake, is she's very attractive, very outspoken, is well-spoken, Uh, because she's a communicator, a media person, television, very conservative. And so she was asked late yesterday about what's going on in her mind about this mess that's happening in the election counting out there. And somebody in that media asked her a question about her future. Gavino Garai with Reuters News Agency. If uh, Donald Trump were to announce that he is running, what would your reaction be? My reaction would be elation. I would be so thrilled if President Trump runs. And I would absolutely, absolutely wholeheartedly support him. We need President Trump back in office to fix what Joe Biden has screwed up. Chris Van Cleef from CBS News. I want to just follow up on his question, if I may. If Donald Trump announces, as expected, to be president, and you win the governorship of Arizona, you're likely to be talked about as a VP candidate. Will you? Do you plan to serve your entire term in Arizona, or are you open to being the VP? Are you new covering this race? Because we've talked about this before. 
talked about this, I've answered these questions. I am going to not only be the governor of Arizona for four years, I'm going to do two terms. I'm going to be your worst freaking nightmare for eight years. And we will reform the media as well. We're going to make you guys into journalists again. So get ready. It's going to be a fun eight years. I can't wait to be working with you Carrie, guys for eight years. For the, for, the, for the people who are... I kind of like that. I uh, I don't ever really keep up with Arizona state politics, but I got to be honest with you, I will with Carrie Lake if she's elected because I think she's a mover and shaker. She's one that doesn't seem to just talk about things, but she gets or plans to get things done in office if she gets the gig. And I could see, I could see her getting the nod in a Trump presidential run in 2024. I think she's outspoken. I'm pretty sure he's outspoken. <laughs> they could probably G and Hall. They both speak their minds. And I think she gets the political structure and she has an affinity for Trump, not because of who he is, but what he did in his four years in the White House. And think about the state of California, the state of Arizona, the state of New Mexico and Texas, and their biggest problem, one of their biggest problem is totally and directly related to illegal immigration. The flood of illegals coming into those states. She would be the governor of the state of Arizona. And I guess next to Texas, I don't think California has the illegal immigration problem that those other border states do. Why? Because their border that hits uh, Mexico is much, much smaller and shorter than that of those other states, and they pretty well got it locked down. Not all of it, but they pretty well got it locked down. Arizona, you know, it's different because there are so many parts of the border that are basically unreachable in a normal way. You can't just walk across it. Got very rugged terrain, got desert and all those kind of things. But it's going to be a tough gig, but I could see her getting a lot of attention And probably by that time, if she does become the governor of Arizona, she would be able to make some noise on a bigger stage than where she is now. I could see Donald Trump picking her as a running mate. And of course, she she is already very uh, politically savvy because she didn't take the bait. Those reporters were asking her, and they need to understand... (laughs) And it's none of my business. I mean, that's Arizona and I'm in Louisiana. But anyway, they need to understand she's one of them. She knows how the cycle works. She knows what news and how to operate and get people to answer questions when you interview them. She knows how that works. And she basically schooled them. Did you catch that? She told them she was going to make their next few years nightmares because she's going to make them be journalists again, she said. I doubt if very many of those were ever, were ever journalists in the first place. So there's, um, there's a lot of people that are upset because Joe Biden said he wasn't going to change, he wasn't going to change anything in uh, the next couple of years. Looking at what we're dealing with as Americans, it kind of shocked a lot of people. So yesterday, during CNN's election coverage, their chief political analyst, Gloria Borger, she said that Biden's remark in that post-election press conference that he won't do anything different in the wake of the midterms because 
He said his achievements will take time for people to recognize, and she feels that was a bad answer that is insulting people given that the large majorities of the country believe that the country is headed in the wrong direction and think we are already in a recession. Borger stated, quote, Here was sort of the thing that struck me, which is when he was asked, would you change anything? He said no. Now you have 75% of the country saying that we're headed in the wrong direction. 75% believe we're already in a recession. And then the president, in a way, tries to brag about himself and what he's done, of course, and to talk about how Republicans would threaten your Social Security and your Medicare. He said he just wouldn't do anything different because, of course, our achievements take a long time to be recognized. That's insulting people. And I don't think that was a good answer from the president. That's CNN saying that, which I think is kind of unusual. So about our border situation, you don't hear anybody talking about it lately. Yesterday on Bloomberg's Balance of Power, Representative Henry Cuellar, he's a Democrat from Texas and he's a border uh, county down there representative. He stated that he really hopes the Biden administration is going to finally listen to the people at the border. Cuellar pointed out that the perspective on the border is very different than the perspective from 1,500 miles away. And remember, Biden hadn't been to the border. He hadn't been down there at all. In fact, there's no situation, no opportunity, no um, instance in his entire life where he's been to the border. Henry Cuellar said, if you look at the race, I did much better than Biden did. In my congressional race, I did much better than the other state Democrats who were running by 10, 15, 20%. That's because I work and I get a lot of support from moderate Republicans that cross over and support me. So it's just being bipartisan. That always works, not only in the district, but certainly it works in Washington. He later added, I hope the administration listens to some of us at the border. We're 1,500 miles away. It's very different from being at the border when you talk to landowners, you talk to Border Patrol, you talk to Border Patrol officers. It's very different. We don't have a single sanctuary city along the border. We don't have any public officials that are asking for open borders. I believe in legal migration, but I believe in law and order. And we need to have a law and order, give people their day in court, And if an immigration judge says stay, they stay. But if the judge says go home, then go home. I will also say this. I'm in line to be the chairman of the ranking member, hopefully the chairman of the subcommittee on Homeland Appropriations. So I'm going to have a lot of say-so. Now, on that note... I've got to disagree with Representative Henry Cuellar. He's a Democrat from Texas, and there's no way that he's going to be the chairman of any committee. And he's not going to, he may be the ranking member. He may be the highest ranking Democrat on that committee, the Subcommittee on Homeland Appropriations. But nevertheless, he'll probably be on that committee. 
here's the problem. It doesn't matter what these committees do. It's the majority leaders over in the Senate. It's the Speaker of the House over in the, the, the House of Representatives that make all the decisions about what can even come to the floor of either chamber to even be talked about. So unless Republicans win the House, Nancy Pelosi's going to up again as Speaker of the House. And she kept so many bills, proposed bills, to ever even be brought up to be considered. She has that unilateral power. On the other side, this period, this two years, has been Chuck Schumer, Senator Chuck Schumer. His, he's the majority leader in the Senate. He does the same thing. And it will be the same thing in the House, at least, if Republicans take control of the House of Representatives. And it looks like Kevin McCarthy is going to be the Speaker of the House. Mike Johnson, who is from right here in Shreveport, Louisiana, he's on this show regularly. He'll be in leadership at one of the committees there. I don't know which one. Jim Jordan, the firebrand from Ohio, is slated to probably be the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. So there's three guys right there that are pretty right on, pretty on target. They're very, very conservative. Even Kevin McCarthy from California, he's very conservative himself. So if if the Republicans get a shot, I think they got a chance of turning some things around. Hey, guys, that's going to wrap our Thursday show, and I want to thank you for being here. We're going to take you to Wembley Stadium in London to get out of this. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Crazy.